um how are you guys do how are you guys doing out there is uh you know you know we're in like whatever it is red alert bad air quality in bellingham blah 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 yeah how is everybody out in the world doing i know it's it, not healthy but i really like like two years ago and the year before it when it was that sort of apocalyptic super hazy and you can stare right at the sun and it's just a big red ball like yeah it is cool looking i think i mean it's like you know, the pictures i've been seeing i'm like wow it's, it's just like a dc crisis i know i would want to go out and walk around in it just because like you know i like novel this because i am incredibly excited um welcome in welcome in everyone this is batman in quarantine episode 40 i was editing episode 39 today and i like at the beginning was calling it 40 and then at the end called it 39 i had to edit that out i am like criminally bad at being able to keep track of what episodes we're on at any given time now fortunately roman's brain is a steel trap and nothing gets past it. But Batman in Quarantine, episode 40, we're going to be talking about Return of Bruce Wayne, issue number two today. And I'm really glad that I get to just sort of sit and talk to my friend Roman today. Roman, how are you? I'm good, though, and thanks for the compliment, but I, I was thinking, yeah, steel tra- trap that's rusted. Yeah. I, I was thinking I need to write down, like, our episode numbers. In fact, I'm going to write it down right now, so maybe I can start keeping track, too. S- steel trap or, like, steel sieve. You know, like yeah. metal, metal can go a lot of different directions. Yeah, I got a, uh, I've got a mind like a a, a tinfoil trap. I love that um, about your your poked tinfoil <laughs> whole trap. Did you say it's episode forty? Yeah, yeah, 40. it is. I had 40, to like 40, 40. double check on my podcast feed to see what the <laughs> issue like named episodes were. Um, but this one, gosh, um, I'm not even going to spend as much time summarizing it. This one kind of continues Bruce Wayne's epic forward through time and being followed by the hyper adapter taking the form of a giant water squid which i think is an interesting choice but this is him in the puritan times and there's a lot of what makes batman batman present in this there's a lot of family mystery this was such a joy for me to read this time it had my head going in a hundred different directions and thinking a bunch of different things and what i realized roman was while reading this the first time my first experience with reading this book you know years ago was that morrison had set up this amazing mystery where is bruce wayne is he in time what's happening to him when's he going to come back how are they going to put these pieces together and my relationship with mysteries is often that i want to know what the mystery is right i want to like a good mystery has a great mysterious twisty plot and then a thing hits and you're like oh that's so cool and i was reading this whole thing the first time looking for that and and in that classic jeff way I was looking for what I wanted and not leaving myself open to what I needed. And what Morrison does in this whole thing is he weaves an amazing mystery, but it isn't, it's, it's a better story than that. It is filled with great turns and, and it's not even so much a mystery as much as like an Ouroboros. It's a snake eating its tail. That was like, I think he's really playing with causality throughout all of this to, to that point these singular issues kind of contain a multitude of, of what's going on and a multiple multitude about Batman and time and the DC mythos. And it, it's never overtly like, all right, we're one issue closer to like unraveling the answer and I'm kind of getting the answers, you know, like he's giving that to us, but it's more actually like a joyous journey. And I really was speeding through them originally trying to be like getting to the what of it all. And, um, and that's not, I don't think that's the game that he's playing here. Yeah, I, I agree. That was, that was well stated. Because, um, yeah, when I first read these, I was more wrapped up in trying to figure, piece it all together over the longer journey. And, yeah, that's part of it. But I, was, I think I was missing some nuances of the individual issues um, and the stories. Should we, should we refresh people that, yeah, this issue picks up? Last issue, Return of Bruce Wayne. At the very end, he falls in the, him and 
hyper adapter. What's his name? Whatever the the boy's name was, falls oh, in the water movie. off the waterfall, and and the eclipse happened right before then. So Bruce falls in the water and then gets transported to a different water in a different time in Puritan times, with this yeah squid kraken thing, whatever. Which yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> is oh the hyper adapter. Okay, that's because I read this this morning. I was like, well, okay, the only thing that wasn't explained here was the squid. What the hell was that? And oh yeah, it's a hyper adapter, of course. Yeah, and I think it's a really I can't remember if it changes its appearance in subsequent issues of return of bruce wayne it does appear as this giant kraken in the previous issue and in this issue i wonder in in classic dc continuity has it always taken the form of this kraken type thing or is that a choice morrison made and if so why you know is there something about the water or malevolence within the water or water being a lubrication between realities as the movie constantine has taught me um like there's it's an interesting choice as to why yeah, I, th- I thought I thought at first is it kind of maybe just a real loose kind of uh, Lovecraftian monster to go with the witchcraft scare of those times. I don't know, and I don't remember the hyper adapter. If I, I assume it changes shape, I don't remember what it looked like in Final Crisis. If that's where it first appeared, I, it didn't show up in Final Crisis, but it was this this Kraken thing in Return of Bruce Wayne number one. Right, I think that we yeah we see a sh- oh no actually we're only seeing we do see the Kraken hyperadapter in issue number one but it's really only in the final page which is them in the Puritan time so maybe it is only a Kraken oh. in this issue um, so that's that's a good a good point okay huh cool so you know we we've been talking about Doctor Cody Walker did you read you know old Doc the old Doc's uh, ideas on this issue at all uh no i haven't that's a good that's a good choice um (laughs) but he pointed out something you know we poke dr cody walker all the time because at you know myself i'm someone who is just wrong every day all the time and i try to be pretty fluid about being wrong and it's it's just totally okay so i don't ever try to say this is what this is or this is what this means and uh we poke at cody walker because he seems pretty comfortable in saying like this is what this means and uh, that always like ruffles me just a little bit because like I don't have I can't imagine being so confident in my worldview that I feel I can certainly say anything is anything. But one thing I really like in his write up about this is less about Batman, but he was talking about how this harkens back to the American Gothic time period, and and he compared and contrast American Gothic and European Gothic, and European Gothic is like sort of large buildings and shadows and like religious overtones that are like, you know, mm, yeah. he says something about Satanist monks or, I, you know, like European Gothic and how American Gothic in terms of the physical space that they were in at the time didn't have that ancient architecture there. So the way that in puritanical times or the way that horror um, and Satanism was manifested or the, the areas that they would focus on, it was the woods because that was like the most outside of culture and the most shadowed mysterious and like the most other space that there was, but they lacked the architecture to have the sort of European Gothic. And I, I just like outside of Batman reading, I was like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Why, you know, the witch or, you know, all these different, you know, the crucible, the scarlet letter, like the woods play a role, witches play a role wood like forest spirits familiars all of these things are very like nature oriented and it it makes sense that that would be a sort of um a western manifestation of those ideas yeah yeah it definitely does and boy yeah morrison sure plays with that well in this i mean that's kind of the 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 whole focus of the thing is is in a way the woods and i think he does such a cool snake eating its tail thing here. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Because he befriends this girl in this town and she ultimately is a witch in a town where there's all these Puritans hunting for witches. And he takes the form of a witch hunter named Mordecai because he shows up in this time and the girl dresses him in the clothes of a dead man. And he finds out later that the dead man is a guy named Mordecai. And we learn later it's Mordecai Wayne. What's interesting about that, Roman, is that we said on the previous episode of Return of Bruce Wayne or just Batman and Robin that Bruce is going back and taking the, like, it physically embodying the bodies of his relatives. Yeah. But that's not, in fact, true. Yeah. 
No. In the first issue, I don't know whose body he would have been taking, but he's got his own body. In the second issue, he seems still in his own body, but he arrives in this time immediately after Mordecai Wayne, his relative, had died. So he's not actually taking those bodies and jumping through bodies. He is maintaining his own body mm. and then physically dipping into these times. Did that make? Does that okay. did that click for you? Because yeah, that does. Yeah, that does make a m more sense. Because in the first issue, I, I was I just kind of concluded, oh, well, I guess he took the body of uh, his primordial descendant caveman, you know, Thog Wayne. Right. <laughs> Old Thog. But, but, but yeah, that doesn't make any sense, really. So, <laughs> But yeah, I liked the inclusion of that notion of, yeah, he he's like, wait, there was a, you know, dead, there was, you put me in a dead man's clothes, didn't you? And she's like, yeah, yeah. and it it's Mordecai Wayne. Um, but she that, that woman ends up being a witch and bruce is kind of being a detective trying to disprove witchcraft within this community and ultimately uh, the puritans turn on her and, and in the moment of him not being around to save her they decide that she's a witch and they put her to death but there is another dude in this town malleus and it turns out he's actually a wayne and she gives up his name and says malleus wayne and that is actually nathaniel wayne she ends up cursing the entire Wayne lineage at that point. She says, I put a curse on your entire bloodline until the end of time. And so th I love that moment of the snake eating its tail of, okay, did Bruce cause this thing and end up giving his family bad luck, which then means that that's maybe why his parents got killed in an alley and he became Batman. But had he not become Batman, he would have never gone back in time to do this thing that would have created the bat. Like, I yeah. love the chicken or the egg dynamic <laughs> that he puts into all of this. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and from 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 my viewpoint, I was like, well, because I wondered that too, but I kind of decided because I don't want it to be that way. Um, I kind of decided, well, no, his he failed to stop Nathaniel um, because, to use Doctor Who terminology, that's a fixed point in time. Um, her being put to death by Nathaniel oh. and the curse. So, <laughs> okay, so that was always constant. That that's how I took it. That's how I interpreted it. But do you? Th yeah. And so, whether Bruce was there or not, she would have been killed and given that curse to the Wayne family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I was confused that so Mordecai. So two Waynes existed at the same time in this town. Mordecai and Nathaniel. That's, and, that's what they, we need to talk about. Yeah, I'm wondering, are they were they brothers? With exactly, cousins? <laughs> because they're not acting like brothers, right? No, no. And yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, Nathaniel doesn't even seem to recognize. He keeps on calling Bruce stranger, and and but again, that's because, like he pointed out, that's because Bruce is in his own body and not not uh, right. And yeah, and that's a good point. Maybe he would have known that Mordecai, but I think he's going by the name Mordecai, isn't he? No, he's not, because he doesn't learn that until later on in this. Right. Nathaniel Wayne and Mordecai Wayne. There is, there's records of Nathaniel Wayne. Oh, gosh, I was looking it up earlier. Now there's all these Waynes and different, uh, <laughs> different identities. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get yeah. back into it here. Who's, yeah, whose portrait? Who's Wayne? Which Wayne portrait was missing the first time we saw the portrait gallery? Thomas Wayne's. Because that's Wayne. the okay. Satanist Thomas Wayne. That's the Satanist. Okay. But Malleus Wayne is Nathaniel Wayne is right. what we learn as the right. twist ending of this, which is why the family gets cursed. But we don't, I looked through the different issues and I couldn't ever find a picture of Nathaniel Wayne. There's no like Nathaniel Wayne portrait. So the role of him in the Wayne lineage, I mean, I guess it makes sense that he's a character or a carrier of the DNA because Mordecai had been killed. Mm -hmm. So Nathaniel would have, you know, somebody would have had to carry on the line so Nathaniel must have, but it's it's just interesting that we didn't we don't really have a portrait of Nathaniel. We're, we're not a lot of there's not a lot of description as to how these two existed in the same time and and who is who. Yeah, yeah, and I I did like the little uh, um his nickname Nathaniel's nickname of uh, Malleus the Hammer because that was more some playing around a little because there's a class like the classic um book on witchcraft in i think in america was back in those times was called uh the malleus 
Malefism, Malephoricum, something like that, which which translates as the witch's hammer. And it was this, it was basically the instruction manual on how to identify witches and test them and kill them. (laughs) It is, yeah, I was excited to talk to you about this because I just feel like you are more informed of this time period and have more of an appreciation for it than I do. But yeah, Nathaniel Wayne, you know, it's listed as being uh, also identified as Malleus Wayne, but what Nathaniel was a witch finder in Gotham under the alias Brother Malleus. Yeah. Um, while he was in the, so anyway, the, not a cure, like a firm answer there, but yeah, we had two Waynes coexisting and I guess it just makes sense. We'll believe that Waynes have been in this area forever. I did like that. She brings him to the cave, like of the Miyagani tribe near Mm. the end. It's like, I I like that we consistently stop in at that cave. Yeah. And she knows the history. I mean, I really like the, the fact that Morrison portrays her as it's not a spooky witch, not a stereotype witch, but, you know, she's a solitary person that lives in the woods and knows herb craft and knows about the history of the original peoples that were there. And has a... And, um, and has a familiar... And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's not, she's not like, woo, here's a spell. No, but even, like, I like the way that she talks about gods and deities and demons, which is, like, I don't believe in the immediate gods that people talk about here i believe in like mm. large concepts and like yeah. and entities that exist outside the realm of time like she's talking and you know if you want to look at it strictly in dc continuity she's talking about the new gods right she even refers to them as the bright ones in the in in here which is yeah. again hearkening back to that new gods phrase yeah yeah that was really cool and when he and when he first wakes up in her her place um she says how a great guard a, a great dark god has set his hand upon you so she recognizes like dark side's touch on him <laughs> exactly and i do love the cthulian overtones of like her language that she's speaking to them i was trying to like look at it for i was like could it be is it like zatanna speak is it backwards is it anagrams and i was like no it just kind of reminds me of like lovecraft language oh i just <laughs> assumed that you had mentioned that because you mentioned lovecraftian earlier that was, no, that was just based on the appearance of the hyper adapter. I, I think when I read this, I, I skipped over her original panels that are, yeah, totally Cthulian language. <laughs> so a thing that, you know, in the first issue of Return of Bruce Wayne, we sort of saw him using gadgets and recruiting a, a member of the youth to, you know, like he was being very Batman without knowing that he was Batman. And in this one, again, he doesn't remember who he is. He doesn't remember Batman, but he knows that he's a detective. And I like that in this town, we have superstition and fear causing people to overestimate the idea of witches and dark gods having an effect. So on one level, he's playing into the idea that Bruce is very familiar with the way that scared people are susceptible to, to, to like blown up ideas. Uh, to, they're susceptible to, um, you know, a, a, when he's Batman, uh, he knows that criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot, and they're going to think that he's not just a guy in a costume. They're, like, originally, he was a, ca- causing fear that people think there's, like, this bat demon, this this crazy thing of the night, a creature of the night, you know? And in this, they're playing with that same thing, which is the idea that scared people assume that, you know, good people can be bad or that there's... It's just that when people are scared, they start to metaphorically create these larger things than in reality, just, like, what he does is he there's a murder... And they assume this, it was murdered by a witch, but what he's able to assume is that actually a person's skull was beaten in with a ladle and the woman like had been beaten by her husband. The ladle was missing and they find the cave or they find the body and the skull has been caved in. Um, that, that idea that Bruce Batman can be on the line of detective objective stuff and, and understand that people fall onto this side of superstition and what fear does to objectivity and I, I really liked the way that that Batman conversation was happening, even in these Puritan times with him. Yeah, I did too. I'm, and, and I love that, because like the last issue they did the, you know, Batman always finds his Robin, that kind of thing. And this issue, it reflects like the period when he didn't, when like Dick Grayson had had a falling out with him and went off to college and Batman was alone again and just being a detective with no partner um and i love that point you know especially now with the you know 
protest and Trump, the Trump administration and, and militarized cops everywhere. The, uh, this story, you know, him talking about how people fear what they don't understand and then they demonize it because we're, you know, seeing that every single day on our streets and from our president. And it's a point that should always be made <laughs> that, that when you're reasonable, like Bruce is here and he's figuring it out, and yet the very fact that he's doing that and applying logic and observation and everything makes Nathaniel Wayne and the other parents town go, oh, well, now we suspect you because you're not just automatically assuming that stuff based in fear. <laughs> like that was the rest a of us. much more eloquent way of trying to exp or of expressing what I was trying to. Well done. And, and to that point, though, and, and sort of maintaining um, this sort of pure idea of who Bruce and Batman is, He's able to ascertain that, like, yeah, this person has gone missing. It's not a witchcraft demon thing. It is an abused wife that murdered a guy. And even though she's a murderer, like, they're trying to put her to death. And he's like, no, this isn't a witch crime. This is a murder crime. We should yeah. sentence her to trial. Like, that, <laughs> that is Batman, right? He doesn't kill. He doesn't, right. you know, he has this belief in a system that holds people accountable, but also then doesn't overreact. Well, I mean, it does, but... It's just that it was this like, don't respond out of fear, respond out of a, a, an understanding of how human beings act and interact with one another. Yeah, don't rest, respond out of fear and superstition because they're trying when he, they're trying, they're doing the uh, the dunking the woman tied, you know, tied to a chair and they dunk her in the water. And if she doesn't drown, then she's innocent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that bullshit. And I love the fact too that, you know, he's, and then this is always true of Batman, he fights against fear and superstition even though he understands it so well, that's he uses that as his weapons by dressing right. as Batman. <laughs> right. That's such a great thing. It, it does make sense that both Mordecai and Nathaniel Malleus were both Waynes, because I do remember my first time through this years ago being very confused about how to tell the two of them apart. Mm. And what I really yeah. liked and clued into this time is while their faces are almost exactly the same, the bad dude has like a black sash across him, but Bruce has a yellow one with a bunch of little bags little pouches hanging on it and it's like his utility belt it's like a yellow sash with a bunch of like things he can hold and so that's how you tell the two of them apart but i yeah i didn't clue into that before and it's just that he's <laughs> he's got a little batman utility belt it's even yellow that is really cool i, I had noticed that <laughs> we haven't talked at all about fraser irving yet fraser irving is doing oh. the art here he comes back uh to do some batman stuff later on he did a book called annihilator with grant morrison after this <laughs> that is phenomenal uh yeah. i love his artwork but it is a type of psychotic nightmarish yeah his i mean i love his artwork too and it's especially it's perfect for a for a witchcraft in america story <laughs> yeah and it, it can be beautiful at times but what i like about it is you know i could think about people taking issue with some of like his faces being like really long like, he's not trying to make sure everything is anatomically perfect he really draws and and well i mean he's doing a lot of digital and you know art colored not just drawing but he he's really doing art from a more emotionally evocative perspective all of it invokes uh an emotion while not trying to be like all right this is gonna be you know i studied a lot of naked bodies and, and figure art classes and stuff like this is very uh exaggerated in so many ways long heads big jaws crazy eyes love it yeah i love his eyes i mean there's a there's a look on god what's her name annie um the the, the pagan woman the witch there's a look on her eyes once when um Oh, and Bruce meets her again in the woods. And it's a great Snow White scene because when he comes upon her, she's surrounded by squirrels and rabbits and there's birds on her head and right. <laughs> on her hands. Right. Um, but he grabs her by the, by the arm and just, and she's got like a wide-eyed look, but it's not shock, it's not fear, it's maybe a little bit of both, but it's just such a great look. And yeah, yeah. Irving, earlier there's a scene where they're walking in the woods and it's just beautiful because uh, I guess this will be, the, well, the colorist. Did Irving color? I think he does all of his own stuff. Oh, he does. Yeah. So he colored this scene. It's just gorgeous. Two pages where they're talking in the woods and it's golden and yellow and, but with lots of shadows still. And it's, it's just beautiful. It's absolutely, it's kind of creates a dichotomy between this idea of the woods being uh, 
a place where they the horrors and the gothic aspects are but he chooses to display it as beautiful because it's it's kind of disproving this idea of where bad things lie you know like bad things fear all the bad emotions live within people so in reality that's more in the town than the woods but we fear the woods because it's foreign or unknown and in here he kind of proves how beautiful the woods can be through all these gorgeous light rays and like it's yeah beautiful yeah and oh yeah that, that, that was a nice call call out to the new gods too light ray oh um, <laughs> i meant to i know you did um and yeah that that is and actually talking about that i realized yeah and the only time we see the woods like that being beautiful like that is when Bruce and Annie are in the woods. Every time we see the woods after that, it's uh, the townspeople and the woods are dark and ominous and, and enclosing. Yeah, it's like uh, a physical space is really determined by the source that is viewing it, right? If you're fearful, you'll, you can view any space as a scary place. And if you're not fearful, even the scariest places can be beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's another good uh, New Gods callback what? you did, the source. Oh, God. Um, the following page, after all these light rays in the forest, the thing that, not a new, not a new God's reference, just actually saying the word light ray. Um, but the, the following page of these three foots, these three feet stomping through puddles to get to Annie's house is, or no, the, the painter's house who's painting the, the Nathaniel oh, right. the, Wayne yeah, the piece. Guy. That, I just love those feet tropsing through the mud. Headed, like that was to me where I was like, oh, god this art like that perspective that camera <laughs> angle those colors perfect yeah that's a great panel there's just two two dimly lit windows in the distance that they're they're stomping toward creepy yeah we um haven't touched upon the scenes that take place at this what is it called the vanishing point vanishing point good let's touch about on that because that i always get a little confused the thing that i love about that scene so much is that Grant Morrison, who's always playing with the idea of time, dimensionality, hyper time, what are the fourth and fifth dimensions? What are the new gods, if not fourth or fifth dimensional entities that exist relative to the third dimension? And what he does is he actually, I think, very deftly explains how things within the first three dimensions interact with things outside the, you know, the third dimension, fourth and fifth. If the fourth dimension is time, we all exist within time. Therefore, all human beings are bound within the fourth dimension. We can't be outside of the fourth dimension because time affects us. And we're in the way that at Vanishing Point here, they are talking about like all that is exists within a spot. But if you stretch that spot out, you have the beginning to the end. And all of us will always just exist on this line of from the beginning to the end. So for all intents and purposes, we are always bound by the fourth dimension. But then the way that he expresses, but you can go forward and backward, but you can also go laterally. You can go left to right, which then expresses this idea of duality and multiple realities. And it says that, and that, and that is where we're talking about the DC universe and he talks about even frequencies. And I don't think it's a coincidence at all that he's using strings here because within physics, we have string theory, which is probably tied into the idea of how the DC universe exists because he describes all of the different realities as, as a, you know, a string that's vibrating at a slightly different frequency. We're operating the exact same space, but we're operating on a different frequency. So we never touch one another, but it's still yeah. the same thing. So we've got beginning to end us, and then we've got left to right, so instead of being a line left or right, any one of those moments could go infinitely, you know, left or right. So now you've got actually like a square, right? You've got a line that's stretched out both ways to become a square. And, you know, the, the archivist is explaining this. And then he says, but I also believe that in the way that you can deviate off that line left and right, so too, you must be able to do it vertically. So we got square time. So now we've got cube time, which is the idea of things looking down, up, up or down, inside or out. So now we've gone from creating, you know, one dimensional thing, which is a line to then having physical space, which is a square to now being a volume, like a, you know, a cube, which has volume. So in the, in talking about how things progress through time relative to larger or smaller things, he's, you know, created a line to a square to a cube. I love, that and then he talks about the hypercubism and then all of this 
sort of ties into how the new gods relate to, you know, our reality, the DC universe, which is, you know, they exist with outside, outside of that cube. They look within us, you know, we are bound to the line, but these larger things are not bound by time, right? Dark side is dark side is eternal. He doesn't die and he wasn't born. So too are all the new gods. So they like, they are looking inside of a circle that we're trapped inside, so to speak, or more to the point, a cube that we're trapped inside. I just, the way that he so fluidly over three pages explained that, and that's a thing that I've spent a lot of time, like Grant Morrison talks about in his documentaries and his books, and, and it's present in a lot of his fiction and other authors. It's, it's really like an idea that I love and have latched onto for years and years now. But the way that he's able to just sort of describe it in these four pages, I was just like, wow, you're getting really good at uh, putting putting what you're trying to say into small amounts of words for people to to grapple onto. I just talked for a long time. Did that make sense to you? That, Did that? Do you feel like that was a useful interpretation of that? That made perfect sense. That was very well well stated. And yeah, the fact that Morrison did that in like two three pages, <laughs> it's so amazing. Especially in the middle of a a, a a Batman story set in Puritan time. Yeah, right. You get that. It's like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Um, and the, and the, the, whatchamacallit, the guardian there, the archivist mentioning the, the infestation of hyperfauna. And it shows an image of the, a hologram of the, uh, the hyper adapter. It's like, Ooh, cool. And I had to I, look I up. This the, is all coming together. Yeah. I had to look up the word fauna. Cause I was like, I forget, is that like vegetation or is that plants? But it's all like the living organiz- organisms within a region or culture. So hyper organisms, there's been an infestation of entities that for all intents and purposes exist outside of the cube of reality that we exist within. And they have infested the cube. Like what a great way of talking about you know, our reality being tainted and ultimately this, the, the hyper adapter and dark side did that. Yeah. And it even, and even also you could include not necessarily that the hyper adapter is one of those, but you can include like the Cthulhu and those kind of creatures. Cause they're all interdimensional and, and hyperdimensional being things, organisms. And yeah. And I love, and that's one of the things I love so much about Lovecraftian stuff is that to me, a lot of it comes down to, things within a reality having a relationship with things larger than their reality and that is what i consider like lovecraftian horror is like kind of staring into the abyss and having it stare back at you and being ultimately psychologically terrifying because you can't understand it and that Mm -hmm. in in you know to put to date this podcast like we've been watching lovecraft country lately and, you know, I mentioned, like, I wish there was a little bit more, like, Lovecraftian horror. Like, yeah, there's the monsters. But I want that, like, cosmic horror, like, realizing yeah. that you're a dot relative to this enormous, terrifying thing that doesn't give a shit about you. Yeah, 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 I do, too. I mean, yeah, I don't know about that series. The fourth episode, uh... <laughs> um, it bounces you know one and three were awesome. Two and four haven't, you know, were a little bit rougher. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. Like, even now. We're talking to each other on, a, on, a, on Zoom and talking about this. I'm starting to just imagine faintly the idea of, wow, the, the idea that we've both got things floating around us, watching us, passing their, their interdimensional tentacles through us, and we're unaware, but they're all around us. <laughs> well, and <laughs> <a> terrifying thought. <laughs> you know, that's one of my favorite things about Morrison and, and what he always brings back up and he talks about comics frequently this way, which is the way that we interact with comic books is the way a fourth or fifth dimensional being would interact with us. Like Mm. they're staring at us within a box. And we're like, if you view like, you know, Batman, he's stuck. He isn't a three dimensional thing. He doesn't exist, you know, within time. He exists on these pages. So we can, if we go back to the line metaphor of the beginning and the end, and we can draw out his whole life on a line at any moment, you and I could go check in with his first appearance or his last, like we can move on that line using comic books, however we want, whenever we want. And so we are to comic characters, the same cosmic horror, larger identity that we identify, you know, Lovecraftian gods as, or even just concepts like love, friendship, hate anger these are eternal things that have always existed and will exist longer than any of us you know so how to 
you know, like love orbits us and is around us all the time and it affects us or chooses to affect us or, you know, how much agency you choose to or not to put inside those things. But I, you know, that Grant Morrison has always held comics in a huge amount of reverence and, and he touches often about how, you know, for that very reason, like we get to be the keepers of an entire existence and look through it and however we want with comics. And, and so, so too, are we living lives where larger things can do the same thing with him. Just a, just an awesome Morrison, you know, like taught me all of these ideas over the last 10 years. And I've just loved incubating them and working with them through different things. But you know, when, when people talk about liking Morrison or not liking Morrison, I have a hard, I have to recuse myself so often because it's not that he's just an author. Like I think he's kind of a, a fictional philosophical, you know, I don't know, philosopher, you know, and uh, I love his ideas. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's exploring things and, and teaching and learning himself within by telling his stories and it's all an ed educational thing. Yeah. <laughs> personal growth you know it's such a such a yeah. through line for for him and, and in that archive is seen the way that they choose that all these lines and then the lines are like diagonally cutting and rejoining other lines or going over different ones like it's, it's a great way of sort of trying to explain or visually represent that idea of infinite simultaneous simultaneity you know and, and and diverging realities yeah the way irving drew all this and and the fact that they they're inside what appears to be a well first it's a room but then they when they're talking to the archivist it, he's inside what appears to be a sphere of of a sphere of spheres which of course is reminiscent of the multiple earths in dc mm -hmm. okay so the next scene okay it's the next scene the, the, the scene further on in the issue with the archivist and superman and booster um that's the scene that i didn't understand that one i the problem with that scene Unfortunately, I think a shortcoming of the art or the storytelling, you know, but ultimately the archivist takes the time sphere, which is the device that Superman, Green Lantern, Booster Gold, and Rip Hunter, is that his name? Yeah, it's Rip Hunter's time sphere. Yeah, he take he steals the time sphere from them. But you don't really see that scene where, like, because on the one scene it does show them like banging from within a sphere, and then the archivist reveals itself to be Bruce, and then it takes off in the time sphere and steals it from them so he can venture through time leaving them that, stranded there okay is that because i wasn't sure when superman was saying he took your memories i was like relied on your survival instinct i, I was like wait so the archivist took bruce's memories or bruce's took the archivist's memories which is, th who's the he <laughs> right yeah that's a good point um i think that the archivist took bruce's memories possibly but i mean you know, we come back to this place in this scene and we get closure, well, closure-ish, on the relationship between ar the archivist and Bruce. But what we can ascertain here in this moment is that Bruce and the archivist are somehow one at this point. And Bruce, archivist, is taking this machine to go back in time to do something. So exactly like how, and I don't remember how it happens, but I do remember in issue six, I think, of Return of Bruce Wayne, there's a lot of scenes of Bruce kind of becoming the archivist. Okay. Um, and I don't know if it's that, like, <laughs> while looking through time, you know, he somehow absorbed Bruce's personality, or if Bruce somehow proactively took the archivist's personality or something, but there's a melding of the two of them that happens at some point. Yeah, so in this issue, Morrison adds to that, that whole mystery within the mystery um and and also heightens the suspense because superman's really freaked out and he's saying that somehow dark side turned the archivist slash bruce into a doomsday weapon and once he gets back to the 21st century it's all over <laughs> yeah and we don't fully know what that means yet outside of our knowledge that the Omega Sanction is a thing that traps you in an infinite number of lives that grow more and more painful as you progress through time. And I think part of the Omega Sanction is that once you get to the moment, like when, once you get back to reality, all of existence ends. Like it's this mm -hmm. cannon that shoots through time and once it gets back to us, then it destroys everything. Like it's, a, it's ultimately like a bullet that's building up ferocity as it's traveling through time and the more time it travels through it, then like 
blows up the reality is my working model for it that is not right you know is just but yeah exactly we're learning and i think that this issue helps us to explain like how he could end reality which is sort of the destruction of that cube with which all possible realities exist within you know is uh it's it's big stuff. We always talk about how Justin's garden at the comic shop is less of a place and more of a feeling. And I think a lot of the time travel elements or even the Ouroboros, like, you know, chicken or the egg aspects of this on the last episode we were talking, I was like, I can get down with both of those theories. Like I, I don't feel like anything ever is like, Oh, clearly that's what he's trying to say. This, you know, he's gone back in time to make this thing. Like there's a whole bunch of ultimately, compounding co-competing there's a con word that i'm trying to think of uh that i can't think of right now but uh things that conflict with one another within this I, this whole story and and i think just kind of becoming having to have some peace with like does it objectively make sense like you know can i draw it out maybe maybe not is it okay if it's like he goes back in time and has sort of been creating his own mythos and then that like maybe that's cool too or maybe we've got doctor who you know fixed points in here like it can be a lot of things and i don't think yeah. it lessens the story to not definitively be one thing yeah yeah no, I, I agree no it doesn't um it, it's just so impressive how it the overall picture of this series within morrison's larger batman run uh, uh, he is so damn good he's so damn good and this issue just had me like really excited like it just had me kind of back in that place of the things that I love the most about it, which is like filling my head with challenging and new ideas that then make me guess at the world around me. And I really love that. I, and as I was thinking about this book and talking to you today while reading it, I just like, I love, you know, some people do like Sudoku and some people do crosswords and I love comics that do that. Like I don't, read comics just to be like here entertain me i do some comics for sure but my favorite ones sure. are ones that are actually more like a, a problem solving exercise and i love this podcast and talking to you guys while reading it because this is so much that like it is it i think a lot of the joy of this thing is problem solving with friends and trying to figure it out and uh it would be a much different thing if it was just a, a story that you were putting inside of you that all just makes sense i think that it, it is an exercise in and of itself yeah yeah it is it's it struck me this morning that um because the way morrison's writing this the two pages when bruce is fighting the hyper adapter squid squid and some bats all fly out during that yeah for a lot of comics or, or whatever media that would be like the big high action point of the issue and that was the two pages and yeah they're beautifully drawn they're nicely done in everything but that was the two pages i was like yeah yeah bruce fighting squid bats blah 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 that i was just kind of like yeah yeah that's not important <laughs> let them get to the rest of the issue <laughs> but i did love that that is just one image you know and and it is him fighting this squid and all these bats came out of this cave and you can just sort of like stop reading the story and just look at that image and it kind of says everything right like Batman is yeah. Batman and here are these bats and they're fighting this thing. And so, yes, on one level, Bruce is fighting the hyper adapter, but also it's just the never ending struggle of like, you know, Batman fighting something larger than himself as represented by bats first. You know, I just, it was a, it was a beautiful image that didn't necessarily need to be the high point or anything, but it was just like, here's another single image that while yes, it's telling the story, it's also kind of encapsulating a theme. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of that panel, right below that, there's a close-up of Bruce's face, and he's he's like yell, yelling, screaming, and he's got it. And you see the sword, and you see the the blood of the hyperdapter, and, and it's just just this beautiful shade of green, and there's these blues and blacks in the panel. It, that's another great panel. It's a great singular image. Yeah. I love that the journal entry narration at the end of all of this sort of talks about how the devil wasn't done with Gotham, but the mysterious brother Mordecai, you know, saved Gotham by killing this monster that ultimately seemed like he was giving them bad crops. And, uh, you know, he saved Gotham while also dooming his family, which is the internal, the eternal uh, Batman struggle. Yeah. And I think, and they show the, uh, that journal, I think it's that journal. The, and is that the same thing as the, 
the box that we thought was a box and that is with the bat on it. Is that yeah, what I wonder. About? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, they show that being passed down with a portrait of uh, Mordecai in the yeah. background, except he's he's holding the journal differently. Because when we first saw that, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we first saw that portrait, wasn't he holding it like to his chest so you could see the bat? There was the journal and there's like a casket, like a small box that has a bat on it. Yeah. And I'm not sure which one was which. Um, yeah, I, might, we, I can just flip to the page right here, actually. Yeah, I might be confusing two different uh, yeah, that, two different portraits. Joshua Wayne is holding the box that has the bat and it's close to his chest. Oh, Mordecai okay. Wayne is holding a book that is looks just like that drawing. All right. But I am. Um, I wish that there had been a drawing of Nathaniel Wayne. I wish there was. Just a, or sorry about. Um, yeah, Nathaniel Wayne. I wish there was just a little bit more explanation as to why another Wayne was coexisting right then, outside of the fact that you know some Wayne needed to doom the family with its actions. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's mentioned in the in the future of this or or Batman and Robin. Um, but this one, yeah, we get that journal entry and then um bruce pops out of the water I, is every issue is it is it is water the medium of transportation that just occurred to me you're you're right i wonder like it happens during an eclipse but it's definitely yeah. happened through water in both of these which would sort of speak to maybe why it's a water monster but then also, I guess maybe because it's a water monster, he goes into the water to fight it, and that's why he's in the water. Yeah, there's a lot of... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I wonder. I kind of, I don't remember, but I kind of hope so, just because I like the um, metaphorical meanings of, like, water and caves and maybe underwater tunnels being kind of a, a, a birth, rebirth metaphor. For sure. Like, I think that there is this idea that water, you know, is like we're in amniotic fluid when we, you know, when we're born and there's a lot of rebirth stuff to go with water, or even um, baptism. Like, yeah, all of that. I think, that yeah. I think that's very salient. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, he pops up out of the water and there's a burning uh, frigate ship behind him on the horizon and he crawls up on a shore and sets up the next issue with another old obscure uh, DC character, the Black Pirate. <laughs> so the Black... Okay, well, I guess we should just save that for next time. But yeah, and it's the Black Pirate, who I don't know anything about, and uh, he's at the hands of Blackbeard, which we is a more famous pirate that we know. So that's yeah. just like, yeah. let's get some, some swashbuckling in on that next one. Yeah. Oh, boy. I like this issue a lot more than the first Return of Bruce Wayne issue, which I liked a lot, but this one just sort of tackled a lot of the stuff that i love about morrison and dc and then also i think i think there was just a little bit more to chew on um than the first returning bruce, bruce wayne issue but it just the package of it, all of it like i i was surprised by how much i loved this issue um versus just my memory of this series is a thing that i was reading because i wanted the answers and i you know it doesn't didn't feel as good on the palette as it does now yeah i'm i'm enjoying it more on this second run through. Cause yeah, the first time I was looking for something different out of it, you know, I, and even flipping through it now as we're talking, I see little things like, Oh, Annie's familiar, this mink or whatever it is. It has, it has like a raccoon mask, like a dime, like a domino mask, like a Robin. Yeah, I was like, Oh, look, it's like Ace the bat hound and all those <laughs> various. Uh, bat oh, it does. Like look at that. Cause at first I thought it was a raccoon cause of, cause of that mask. And then I realized, no, it's, too small and thin to be a raccoon i love the way she says until the end of time at multiple points like i'm going to care for you yeah. and love you until the end of time but she's also i'm going to put a curse on you and your all of your kin until the end of time which is again mm -hmm. this whole thing is the idea of the end of time yeah yeah and I, and oh and the little effect she has one of the first things bruce sees when he wakes up in her in her place um there's a necklace hanging on on a branch that a necklace she owns that has Wonder Woman and Superman symbols on it. And I think later when we see it, it has a bat symbol added to it. And, and sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say that that ties her to the people 
that were part of the cave, you know, that in the Return of Bruce Wayne number one, because Bruce painted those symbols on the wall when, yeah. you know, after he died. So there is a collective of people who were in touch with him originally. And now, you know, it's why maybe she's a pagan is that she's aware of gods or beings larger than herself through that connection. So like she really, you know, if you wanted to quote unquote, say something like one of the chosen ones, like she's one of the good people. She's a, she's a holder of truth more than the other people in these timelines and that those necklaces. I just like this idea that there's a connection. Those people from the caves have been carrying those ideas forward to a point where even just somebody in pagan times, Puritan times has, you know, those monikers. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's very, I love that little touch. Because they, they aren't really important to the story, except that you notice them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's so good, Roman. Is there anything else you want to pack into this one before we get out of here? I don't think so. We, we packed in quite a lot. There's we quite sure a lot. did. Mor- Morrison packed in a lot here. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Uh, uh, I, I, can just say, I can just say that even though it represents a, a repressive society and there's not really many good connotations with the Puritan outfit with the cloaks and the buckles and, and the funky kind of stovepipe hats. I sure like that look. Me too. I love the hat. <laughs> love the love, hat. I would love to have like a Puritan witch finder costume. <laughs> and sadly, um, for as long ago as it is and as foreign as much of it is, it uh, reminds me a lot of America right now. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fear, punishment, pain, superstition, Oh, yeah, boy. Yeah, bad stuff. But let's not make this about politics. Let's make this about the bat who we love. Roman, on the topic of love, I love you. Thank you so much for being on here with me. Oh, I love you. Thank you. And we're going to do Batman and Robin next time, uh, number 12, which is incredibly exciting. I know Justin really wants to be on that one. So uh, there's some big reveals that happen there. Can't wait to discuss it with everybody. Get excited. Get ready. And uh, we'll see everybody on Wednesday. So for Batman in Quarantine, episode 40, on behalf of Roman, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. See you all soon. Bye.